The Irish are a nation of storytellers. Our stories are embedded in us and in our landscape. Welcome to Tales and Trails podcast in partnership with Discover Ireland, a brand new and immersive audio experience that invites you to walk the Irish countryside with us. Today I'll be joined by Camogie All-Ireland medalist and TV personality Anna Geary. Anna has transformed her sporting success into a prolific media career, spreading the message that you don't need to fit the mould to succeed in school, your career or your personal life. Anna, what's up? Hi, how are, how are, are you? you? Nice to meet you. Good. You ready for this? Oh my God, what a view already. I know, a lovely day as well. Well, thank God for the weather. See, look, this time of the year in Ireland, anytime you get a nice day, it's like, yes, everybody, get outside <laughs> and do something. Yeah, and what are we doing? Getting out and doing oh something. Oh my this God. And fresh air, nice weather, good walk, and great company. Oh, I'm so glad you said that straight <laughs> off the bat. You are lucky. Anna and I will take on the Sleeve Foy Loop in Carlingford Loud today. A varied walk with incredible views right beside one of the most charming small towns in Ireland, nestled in Ireland's ancient east. This 9km loop takes around 3 hours to complete in full, and takes you up the majestic Sleeve Foy, the highest peak on the Cooley Peninsula. Given the various terrains on this hike, hiking boots are essential. There are some seriously spectacular views of Carlingford Lock from the mountains, and you can also view the medieval town of Carlingford at various points along the walk. A hidden gem of breathtaking scenery, a rich history, terrific pubs and restaurants. Make sure to visit the Tales and Trails hub on loveon.ie to plan your short break in Loud, where we've highlighted all the best accommodation, restaurants and things to do in the area. We met Anna at the Trailhead, a car park beside the Tourist Information Centre, and set off in the direction of the Golden River Bridge. Have you ever done this walk before? Never. I've never actually been in Carlingford before. And me neither. But I'm already in love with it. I mean, you know, I think, like, for me, when I'm playing a lot of sport, obviously you're, you know, you're playing a game. And I never really get as much time to go for walks. But in the last few months, I've kind of nearly made more of an effort to get to different parts of Ireland. And when I do, and I come here, I'm like, how have I not been here before? So and, I'm definitely going to come back. And then automatically, you're like, I can't wait to come back here. And I'm desperate because um, Kev, my other half, like has such a, a real appreciation for views. Like he would stop here now for 10 minutes and just be like, just breathe that in. <laughs> <laughs> and I think because I grew up just in the country much. and he's from like, inner city Dublin, you know, that it's, it's, I nearly take it for granted, but then you do stop and you look and you're like, oh my God, like, this is Ireland. Why do we leave the country again? And you're like, no, it's only the weather. We should stay here all the time because it's so fabulous. Especially in the summer, like when, the weather, when we have the weather, there's oh, nowhere better to be. I know. Nowhere better to be. And you know what? Before I leave today, I have driven past the cutest village and like all the shops. I am stopping for a 99. I am finding a 99. <laughs> the day is not going to be complete unless I have a 99. Will you get me one as well? Maybe, it depends we'll how the talk goes. <laughs> I really have we'll to see. this then. <laughs> Pressure's on. It is on. You had, as you said a minute ago, playing a lot of sport. You've yes. had a long career in sport, a very successful career in sport. Yeah. But um, in terms of women's sport, how much do you think has changed since you started to now? Or has it changed? Well, I suppose like I'm in my early 30s. So um, I've been playing camogie since I was four or five years old. Um, and, you know, essentially it's been the fulcrum of my life, everything that, even opportunities I've, I've got out of it, I have been thankful to sport. But yeah, I mean, the, the horizon, I suppose, of, of women's sport, and especially camogie, has massively changed since I've started playing. Like even, I was playing with Cork for 12 years, retired in 2015, and even during my career, I could see just the narrative changing around women's sport. People were taking it more seriously. People were understanding that, to be honest, and to get deep for a second, Oh, it kind do. of sport does permeate to loads of different parts of society and like how I suppose women are treated in sport it kind of like has a knock-on effect sure. I think and 
for me, I suppose I was really lucky that I grew up in a household where both my mum and my dad were really supportive of me playing sport. I have a younger brother and they encouraged him to do the same, but they never treated us differently. Like they never once gave me more or less credit than my brother because I may have played well or not so well in a game. And so I never really took much notice growing up that there was a massive divide when it came to how people looked at men's and women's sports. Um, so I suppose I was hit with a little bit of a bang then as I grew up and became more aware. Oh, how come people don't want to go and watch the Camogie games but they'll want to watch my brother's games more? Um, but it's definitely getting better because I think people are taking more of responsibilities now as well. Not just, I mean, it's easy to sling mud on the media and give out to them and say, oh, it's because there's not enough coverage. But I do think that everybody has a part to play. I think players have, past players, parents, teachers, and then even people that wouldn't necessarily have played sport when they were younger, or maybe have followed sport, but now have kids. I think they're the people that we need to- Start early. Yeah, and make sure they know that what you do with your, you know, with your younger kids, even if you didn't come from a sports background, you need to, need to kind of create this environment where they feel that they can drive on and play sport if, if, they, if it's right for them and if they're talented enough to maybe play at a high level as well. And there's a lot more, like you being one of them, paving the way and showing them that there is opportunity yeah. at the end is definitely going to help. Do you think as a nation we're doing enough at the moment to promote that to the younger generations? I'm like, okay, I'm being recorded here, so <laughs> I, I can't lie and say I think we're doing enough because I don't think we okay. are. Um, I think there's so much more we can do. And as I said, I, I do, like, I qualified with a business degree and worked in business for seven years as well. And I suppose I saw firsthand sometimes the, the different treatment that men and women would get when it comes to business. And that does exist in sport. But I think, I suppose, from a, from a GA point of view, the WGPA setting up back in 2015, um, which I'm very proud to say that I was involved in from the get-go, is a massive boost to give a platform to female sports people, like GA players, just, you know, to talk about things that they need to talk about and say the things that sometimes need to be said, because you have that support there knowing that if I'm going to say something that I might be, you know, seen as popular by saying, but if it needs to be said, then at least I know there's people behind me that will back me. And like the 2020 campaign now for launch and is really important to show people that, you know, more coverage, more participation, um, just more involvement from people. It's really important to grow women's sports. I hate the term women in sport. And I'll tell you why. You would never Please say do. men in sport. Never. Never, you no, wouldn't. Literally never. But, so I kind of feel that's nearly saying that we're visitors in something that doesn't <laughs> belong to us. It's women in sport. It's just sports women, you know? And like, I mean, ideally you want to get to a stage where gender's irrelevant. It's and a sport. Just sport peop sports people. Um, but I think it's just a pity to have. <laughs> and you, you hear it all the time in media. Women in sport. This women in sport conference. This No, just call it sports women. <laughs> Don't call it women in sport. Um, but look, I do think language is a part to play on how people... Yes, you, well, you, know, you know yourself. How people speak to you has a massive effect on how you feel. And I think it's the same in, in broader terms about sport. How you refer to sports women has a direct impact. Like... I often find, like I suppose now, I retire from top level sport and I'm working more in the media side. And you'll often hear female sports people being referred to as, she's a, she's a lovely player, or she's a very feisty player. 
You would never hear Henry Shefflin being called feisty or lovely for that matter. <laughs> lovely, definitely not. Or spirited or bubbly. And Mick McCarthy said it actually, they win in the International Women's Day, the FBI did a really clever um, thing with himself and he talked about all of these adjectives that are used to describe female sports people and female soccer players at the time. He said, I was never described using any of these words. So why are women? And it's a really good point. I think it even is. journalists need to go, oh, am I guilty of doing that? Or are parents guilty I of doing it? I have a responsibility it? here. Yeah, so I just think we do need to change the, the language a little bit. Just even it out. It's not like you're beating a drum looking for, oh, we're women, we should get extra special treatment. Look. I think I, that's the opposite of what you want, isn't it? 100%. Like, I'm actually like, just remove the gender. Like, but I say it sometimes even in the, um, even when I'm doing the analysis of camogie, I'm like, you know what? If you want to slate me because I'm bad at what I'm doing and I'm not doing a, a great job, as hard as that is, well then slate me for being a bad analyst, but just don't slate me because I'm a woman talking about sport. You know, that's like a stereotypical, oh well if, if there's a, a male nurse, oh we're just going to slate him because he's a male, male nurse. nurse. Well just slate him if he's bad at his job. Like. But it's just, I think breaking down these stereotypes is kind of, we need to move a bit forward and the time to talk about it is over. I think it's just about action now. Action now. You know, it's, it's, the talking is boring. It's just, we keep saying it and over and over And move away again. from the women in sport kind of phrases. Oh Stop separating it that way. Yeah, exactly. And bring it like together I said, and celebrate sport. I think even my parents, I'm really lucky that they're probably ahead of their time from that respect. And I know a lot of my friends' parents would have been the same. My dad would roar and shout at me in matches and, and shame me <laughs> in front of everybody just as good as he would for my brother. Like he didn't pay me any special treatment just because I was a girl and we have to be nice to the girl and tell her she's great. Not at all. Like he would absolutely coming home in the car, he'd be like, what were you doing there in the second half? You drove that ball wide. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> but it definitely made you who you are. 100% it did. And it, it definitely, I built up a lot of resilience. And I also toughened me up too, because I realized, you know, you, you can't expect extra special treatment. You kind of have to earn it nearly. So you have to put in the hard graft. Hard to put in the hard graft. Oh my God, I'm telling you. And we used to, um, my dad used to, when I think about it, it was nearly like child slavery. He used to drag us out like in the middle of, you know, a really miserable day, say, and we had this kind of passage that used to go around in a loop. And he used to drag myself and my brother out there. Like when we were younger, like we were like, you'll be glad of this in the middle of summer when you're fit. And my dad is immensely competitive. I wonder where I got yeah, the streak from. Say. And like he wouldn't be letting us win. Like he'd pass this out, go, come on, keep up. But it was really good for us because it kind of made you realise that in everything you do, whether it's a job or in sport or anything, there's always going to be certain aspects of, of the getting where you want to be that you don't like. You know, whether it's like administration or sending emails for a business person or a sports person, it's pre-season training. But you have to just suck it up and get on with it because you know kind of the reward at the end is worth it. It's going to be much better. So, yeah, I remember that and I'd be like, no, Dad, I can't run anymore. <laughs> He'd be like, two more laps or you're not getting dinner. <laughs> <laughs> no dinner, Jesus Christ. That's harsh, some, harsh, but that's it worked. That's some boot camp he's doing at home. You mentioned a minute ago doing seven years of a uh, bit of a desk job. Yes. But you gave it all away. What was that like when you, you had to give that up to move into I know. being like TV personality? Radio do you know what? I suppose for me, it was really weird because I graduated in a time from the University of Limerick when I was, we were in the height of the recession. And I suppose a lot of people were actually having to leave Ireland to get a job. And I was very fortunate that 
Watch your step. I got a job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Be ashamed to ruin my runners, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, they're lovely runners. <laughs> thank you so much. And they're trail runners as well, might I add. I'm very proud, very proud to say that. They're lovely trail runners. They're not just your bog standard they runners. They're gorgeous. They <laughs> well, they're going to be put to they're the test here. They're going to get in a second, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, graduated at that time. And I suppose when anyone was just looking for a job, I was very lucky. I fell into a job. And I suppose it wasn't just any job. It was a job that was Monday to Friday. You know, you're half eight to five in a central location, which really facilitated me playing camogie. I didn't really have Perfect. to, you know, move my life that much around. So I, I should have been grateful. And I was grateful, but as the years kind of went on and I worked in that company for four years and then moved to another one for three. Now I can say it, but at the time I was nearly embarrassed to say that I, I genuinely felt unfulfilled in my career. It's a bit embarrassing because some people were just looking to get a job. A job, yeah. And here I was with a great job, but I was like, it's nothing to do with, it's nothing to do with the career. The career was great. It just wasn't a great career for me. And I thought to myself. You knew you had more, did you? Yeah, you wanted I felt, more. I'm, I'm really lucky. I don't have a mortgage. Don't have kids to be worrying about. It's just me I need to fend for myself. So I was like, if I don't get out now and try something different, then I'll never I'll do never it. I'll never do it. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, let's take a look on the right there. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Look how high we've walked up I know, as well. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling it. I know you're not, but I'm feeling it. I'm well, now, I have about 40 layers on me because <laughs> it is Ireland. Sweating. <laughs> so I'm like, I am just like sealing in all the juices yeah. right now. <laughs> Unbelievable. That There's a little amazing. gap in the trees Look that looks out onto the lake. You'd know I'm from the country. Yeah. I grew up on a farm. You're like, what? I'm like, the sheep. Look at them. I never had sheep now. We only had cows, but it's fab. They are. Like oh, this yeah. is totally a place, right, that if you're having a really crap day yeah, it's very and you just came up here on your own with a podcast, <laughs> yeah, yeah. as you always do, you, you know, you totally could, you could switch off, you know, it's you wouldn't need the peaceful. phone, like, even though it would be a shame not to get it, like, you have to get a picture, yeah, we have to get a picture here, don't we? <laughs> but it is, it's, it's yeah, lovely. I think we, again, we do take it for granted sometimes, I think, in our we do. that it's this always... is right in our doorstep and we're so quick to want to go away and get on the plane, like, when we were growing the up even, like my mom and dad, when I think about it, she would be like, ah, oh, you know, such and such is going to Spain for a holiday. She's like, well, we're going down to West Cork, down to Skull and Ballet Hop, and it'll be great fun, and it's every bit as good as Spain. And they were right. And, you know... But uh, back then, it wasn't right. It was like, no, I don't believe you. This of course it wasn't, because you wanted that excitement exotic, of getting yeah. on a plane. Yeah, exactly. Now it's stress. I'd be like, oh, God, yeah, let's, let's stay in Ireland <laughs> to go somewhere for a few days rather than having the stress of an airport. So, oh, look at that even. Look at the waterfall. Look at the waterfall. Anna, do you know that Ooh. this is the only protected place in Ireland for fauna, flora, and fairies? <laughs> if anybody could see my face right now, they would see I'm absolutely blown Anna's, away. What? Anna's face dropped. I, I don't know. know if she's questioning my, the truth behind it. How this, do you know this? But it's the truth. Look it really? up. It's the truth. Oh my God, well, fairies, uh, really? Yeah, the only home left of the old leprechaun. The last of the leprechauns. It's like the last of the Mohicans, <laughs> but it's leprechaun it's the Irish version. It's the Irish version. <laughs> the Americans must love it. Oh. Because they've obviously probably scoured the length and breadth of Ireland looking for, for leprechauns. leprechauns. Well, they're here, folks. And they've, here in Carlingford. That's first. it. You've heard it here first. <laughs> this may even be an exclusive. <laughs> it is. Like, it is for me. You mentioned uh, the decision to leave the death yeah. shop. What was that like moment that you were like at the end of the seven years? Do you know what? For a lot of people, right, it, it was like, to give it a bit of context, it's like I was going through some sort of late 20s crisis, right? Because in a space of about three weeks, I retired as car captain 
um, left my job like with no plan B. It wasn't like I had in my notice knowing something else was coming up. I was like, no, I don't, I don't know what I want to do, but I know this isn't it. So, you know, again, to get deep, it was almost like, hey, let's just see what the universe throws at me, you know, and let's just see what, what pops up. And then I moved from Cork to Dublin. And like, Cork people don't like leaving Cork ever. So <laughs> to move to Dublin, it was like, when all, and especially at a time where all, a lot of my friends from, from college would have moved to Dublin straight away and then would have nearly left to come back to Cork at the time I was deciding, typical of to course, the, typical yeah, me, the opposite. to go the opposite direction. And that all happened in May. So actually, four years Ooh, ago, four years ago this month, yeah, happy anniversary <laughs> for turning your life upside down. <laughs> but it was the best decision I ever made. And I suppose really, what I'm really lucky about is sport kind of, without realizing it, sport taught me that failure isn't like a weakness, you know? So every time I go out and play, I fail, I make loads of mistakes. And, and yeah, and but you have to do it again and you have to make mistakes again, again, again. So I never really, fa I never really feared that kind of failure and messing up. So that's how I, I looked at it that way when I left my job. I was like, look, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. Maybe in a year's time you'll realize, oh, I shouldn't have left. But then you learn from it and you'll go back. You'll never know unless you take you'll that You'll do chance. something else. So yeah, I wasn't really reluctant. It's only now I realize that I'm like, what? I really should turn my life upside down. I moved to Dublin not knowing that many people as well. And it's funny, like I said, how things work out. A few days after I retired from Cork, got a phone call from the producer of Ireland's Fittest Family and asked me, did I want to be a coach? I was petrified. I was like, I won't know tactics. I won't know like how to go over walls. Oh my God, I nearly had my dad on speed dial the first year, just in case. Dad, we're having to lift these 25 sandbags, right? There's four people, what do I do? And my dad, because my dad would be really, he'd really go into the mechanics of things and nearly overanalyze things. So I was like, right, he's there just in case I need him. Um, and then a few weeks later, the very good Marty Morrissey contacted me and asked me, did I want to be an analyst on his Radio 1 show on Sunday evenings after the championship games. So, without realising it, I actually ended up picking up a radio gig and a TV gig. So I was like, okay. And this was all in that short frame of like yeah. four weeks. And it wasn't like, and it kind of happened without me realising it. But I think once I stopped worrying about what's going to happen, and I just said, this is the right decision for me. Let's just see what happens out I of it. I threw it out to the universe. I threw it out to the and universe, look what man. Came back. This is the secret in real life. Everyone loves short breaks. But to really experience a place, you have to get out there. A walk helps you clear your head and truly connect with where you are. Whether you're wandering, rambling or hiking, walking makes your break. Make sure to visit the Tales and Trails Hub in partnership with Discover Ireland on Lovin.ie, where you'll find inspiration for your next short break in Ireland. Myself and Anna took a quick break at this point to take in the scenery. You can see the Hallbaline Lighthouse from the trail. The first Irish major offshore lighthouse to be made completely automatic and remotely controlled from the shore. If you're lucky and it's a clear day, you'll see the Isle of Man beyond. Legend has it that the great Irish giant Finn McCool threw a rock at a giant on the other side of the lake, which landed in the Irish Sea and is now known as the Isle of Man. Everyone's got these plans and five-year plans and goals, and I'm all about goals because I think goals do keep us focused. But sometimes it's okay to kind of deviate off them. And it's okay to be like, I kind of know where I want to go. I just don't know how I'm going to get there. So that was the same for me. Like, I knew I wanted to work with people. I knew I wanted to be in a career where my personality could really come out. And I, I felt sitting behind a desk in a corporate environment that wasn't really happening. I was put nearly in a box and being compartmentalised into you do this and this is your job all the time. And I, like, I love to talk. Shock! 
haven't noticed. <laughs> Literally haven't noticed. Yeah, you haven't got a word in for the last 12 minutes. But I felt I'd love to do something that's going to incorporate that and allow me to get on with people and work with people and interact with different types of people. I wasn't quite sure what that looked like, but I knew that was kind of the end goal. Once you so, have something in your mind, yeah. you just chase So then it. I kind of allowed myself to be open to what opportunities came up. And some have worked out, some haven't, but I've learned from all of them. And I've had the best fun. Like when you think about it, four years ago, I left employment, permanent employment. We were getting a regular salary. salary. You knew your working hours. You knew your time off. Fast forward four years later, you know... I'm hopeful that I'm going to have continuous work over the next six months, but I don't know. And I don't have regular hours. I work weekends. I, I work evenings, but I love what I do. How and scary I genuinely, was that initially? Oh, it's still scary. Like, it was really scary. A job scary. with little security, as you just said, like yeah. from something that was so permanent. It was, I suppose, to be honest, a few months in, right? Then I started to think, oh my God, like I don't have a guaranteed salary now. And it's easy for, for people to start to panic around that. Like even one of my friend's dads and I called to her house and he was like, so what are you doing now? You're doing the bit of TV stuff, are you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. And I'm really enjoying it. And he was like, and when are you going to go back now and get a real job? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? Like, what's a real, and he was a farmer. And I was like, what do you mean a real job? Like, what does that look like? And he was like, well, you know, like, that's all he said. I was like, what do you, no, I don't know. Please elaborate. I was like, well, you know those people that read the news every day? You know, they have a very good job and they're on TV. And that fella, Pat Kenny and Ryan Turbody, they're doing all right for themselves. Um, so, but I think it's just because, again, I suppose I grew up in a very small rural community. You know, everybody had your very strong, regular jobs. So to do something like this. Out of the ordinary. Uh, yeah, a bit different. Not necessarily guaranteed work all the time. But again, I'm like, but would I trade that? to feel maybe sometimes a little bit stuck in a rut, which is what I felt like, if I'm honest. Like, I was really lucky. Camogie was my passion. So Camogie kept me going. Camogie is what, I suppose, gave me... It's the foundation. ...the lease of life. Whereas it was not my career. So then that's... Because people often ask me, why did you retire so young? And in truth, that's why. I was 27 years old. So after doing 12 amazing years of Cork, I captained them for two, we won in All-Ireland. I won four in total, one as captain, which was an extraordinary feeling. But I felt, you know what, as much as I hate to admit it, Camogie won't be there for me when I'm 50. I won't be able to play at that level when I'm 50. Camogie won't pay my rent for me. So I was like, oh my God, I, I really feel I need to work on my career because if honest, I probably had neglected my career a small bit in that decade because Camogie was my focus. That was it. And I absolutely have no regrets about that because exactly, I probably wouldn't have been the player I was. But I think then when I started to get into my late 20s, I was thinking, okay, career-wise, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And I knew if I did embark on a new career, like anything, you start at the bottom rung of the ladder. I knew I'd be doing the unsociable hours, the jobs that nobody else wants to do. And I wasn't prepared to ring up my manager and be like, sorry, I won't make that training or I'm going to miss that match. Because I'm kind of somebody that, if I'm in it, I've, I've I'm all it. in it. All in. Yeah, and I felt I couldn't have been all in and embarked on a, on a new career direction. So one time. had to give, and I felt, I've given 12 years of my life to Cork now. I don't want to be the player that only gave 80% in a year, because I mm. think you have to demand absolute excellence from yourself when you're playing with an inter-county team, because it's such a privilege as well to... To be in a Massively. position to wear that jersey. I never want people to say, Ash, she's just doing it now, but she's only half doing it. You know? So, yeah, made the decision. Made and, the decision to jump. And sometimes, though, when Quark gets in All-Ireland, and I've still some of my friends are playing, 
there is that little tightening in the pit of your stomach going, what if? What if I was what if I was still playing? You know, would you be winning all Ireland's? Would you be on the team? But then the other side is, would I have ever got the chance to be on Ireland's Fittest Family or Dancing with the Stars or now be doing my own radio show? Dreams I've had for years. So I think in a really long-winded way, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is you are going to have to make choices. And sometimes they're really hard choices. And sometimes you can be unsure about the choices you're making. But you have to go with your gut. And looking back, like you're heavily decorated in sport. Yeah, and that's it. It gave me so much. And, and, immediate, I, so. and the person I am today because of community <coughs> as well. So I'll never, ever forget that. Like, and, and I'm still involved in different ways now, I suppose. I'll be a very strong advocate for promoting camogie and women's sports in a wider sense. And like that, I suppose, like hopefully down the line, you never know, might get into management. I don't know if my temperament is lunatic, so a bit of a lunatic, but sure, you know, it works for Davy Fitz and he's extraordinary at what he does, so, um, yeah, we'll see. It could work. You, uh, you said when you first got your media break, um, your dad did something to keep you oh. quite grounded. What? Oh my God, my dad. Like, my dad is brilliant. Like, I think my mum and my dad, they're such different people. My mum is she's very strong and she's a very, very independent woman, and so I've learned a lot from her as well to kind of back yourself and, and believe in yourself and go for things doesn't matter if anyone else does you you need to believe first and foremost that you can do it but she's a very rational a very logical person and unfortunately i didn't inherit those traits from her <laughs> <laughs> i'm probably more like my dad and we can be a bit dramatic and we can but then there's a wonderful energy that comes with that because again like we're all in when we're in something we're all in and I used to always seek my dad's approval when I was playing sport. Like if my mum told me I had a great game, fine. But it was, Dad, what did you think? You know, because he would have been harder, I suppose, to get the compliments from. My mum was just delighted I didn't come back with a gashed leg yeah. or a broken arm, which has happened on loads of occasions. Um, and came in, so give a bit of context, 2010 was the first year since I'd been involved with the Cork Senior Panel since 2003 that we hadn't got to an All-Ireland Final. So we lost the All-Ireland Semi-Final and I got the opportunity then to co-commentate the All-Ireland Final live on Radio 1. So getting to work with him, I was I was obviously really excited, but really nervous too. And on the day, I remember I, I was meant to be watching the match and kind of like that, co-commentating and commenting on what I saw. But I was so fascinated by what Michal was doing. I nearly <laughs> forgot half the time I was meant to be watching the match. So I came home at Sunday night, met my dad the next morning at breakfast. And we were chatting away and, and I was like, Dad, what did you think? Did you hear me on the radio? What did you think? And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, you were, yeah, you were good, yeah, you were, yeah. I was like, all oh, right, why? And he was like, did you hear about me holding my heart thing? And I was like, no, no, what happened? And he was like, he's after retiring from broadcasting. And instantly I, I felt, I won't lie, a little bit smug. It's like, wow, oh my God, I'm going to be one of the last people ever to have yeah. done a commentary with me holding my heart thing. And, you know, true to form, my dad being my dad, he was like really deadpan, looked me straight in the eye. And he was like, imagine, imagine that man has given eight decades to sports broadcasting and I was like yeah yeah and one hour with you and he decides to call it a day <laughs> I'm like instantly being absolutely horrified that my dad would say this but obviously he was keeping it lighthearted because in a, in a really indirect way he was reminding me that like it's wonderful that you accomplished this but don't get it don't get too ahead of yourself like he had eight decades of sports broadcasting you've done one so and you've taken down his career yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> so i was like no i didn't that's not the reason why he retired but it's lovely to i suppose to be able to have my parents to go home and, and they have a love for sport and like my dad is steeped in ga like it is literally in his veins his brothers have played at inter-county level as well so 
I suppose it was a, it was, I was really lucky that we had this thing in common that we could all share. Um, and even if we were given out about and having arguments about like, oh no, that player played well. No, he didn't. It was lovely that as a family that we, we all had an interest in it. It was something that could keep you together. Yeah, and like, I mean, my poor mum and dad were like taxis to us growing up as well. You know, we, I'm indebted to them really when I think about it. I mean, I, in my leaving search year, I, oh my God, look at that. Another, look, more sheep. <laughs> Oh, they're like little. Oh my God, we really are up get, so we're high. Higher, yeah, we're they're like higher. small little marshmallows. Oh, now I'm thinking about marshmallows. Yeah, damn it, I love them. Nice. No, that's you was your, your talk. Are you only I am the talker. You are the food bringer. Oh, you're definitely not getting a 99 from me now. No? Oh, you get it. We're done. Is there people? Is there people out there on, the, boat, on the water? Today's walk is situated in Ireland's ancient east. Discover a region of legends and stories from ancient times to modern day, a place brimming with culture, attractions, festivals, and fun. To plan your walking break in Ireland's ancient east, head to the Tales and Trails hub in partnership with Discover Ireland on lovin.ie. The Sleafoy Loop is steeped in legend and myth. The story goes that the Sleafoy Mountain is home to the last leprechauns of Ireland. So keep your eyes peeled for a little green hat. One of the stories that is woven into the landscape is of Connacht's legendary Queen Maeve, and her raid into Cooley to retrieve the brown bull where she came head to head with the warrior Cucullin. It is said that Queen Maeve is responsible for gouging out the windy gap on Sleeve Foy in her anger towards the Ulster warriors during the battle. Across the way you'll see views of the Mourne Mountains, the inspiration for the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. After taking a quick break to take in the views, we continued on our uphill climb. When I got the call about Dancing with the Stars, I've always, like, I love dancing, but, like, that's more dancing around the handbag in the nightclub on the Saturday night thinking I'm Beyonce. Same, same as myself. Yeah, you know yourself, you know. Um, and when I got the call, it was like, oh, my God, I'd love to do this. But there was this thing in me going, no, don't. Don't do it, you know. What will people say? Like, who does she think she is being on Dancing with the Stars? You'd need to be a star. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I'd love to do it, but... I think it, I don't know if it's an Irish thing, but I suppose like that, I grew up in a small rural community and I'm like, oh my God, people think I have notions about myself after moving to Dublin and who does she think she is? But then it was almost like I had to check myself and I was like, hang on a second, you're getting an opportunity of a lifetime here to be taught how to dance by a world-class dancer, to effectively have dancing become your job for hopefully a few months and then get to do with a whole load of people that possibly you could become good friends with. I was like, stop talking yourself out of it. So I said, okay, I'm going to say yes and then I've got to work out how the hell I'm going to actually do it. So I said dance. yes. Oh my God, I will say, do you know what was the hardest thing? Is I love food, right? I've never met a calorie I didn't like. I'm all about the healthy lifestyle. Look, I'm big into fitness and I'm big into feeling good because I think if you feel good, you look good and vice versa. But I do believe that you should never, ever feel that you need to cut out foods and, and that guilt that associates with food. I just think it's a, it's a downward spiral. But that Christmas, right, because... Dancing the Stars was starting on the 6th of January and we had already seen a few of the costumes that we'd be wearing if we were to get through week on week. And like around mid-January, I was wearing this like crop top. When I say crop top, it was more like a bikini and skirt. And I was like, you are kidding me. Straight after Christmas. And to be honest, I yeah, but I wasn't thinking about, oh my God, the nation is going to see me in a crop top. I was thinking, I can't have seconds for my Christmas dinner if that is going to be what I'm wearing. So that was actually really hard because I, I did have to be disciplined. And again, I suppose I, I was lucky I had the camogie from that, that I was used to being really disciplined at certain times of the year at championship, not drinking alcohol and being clean with my diet. So, but it's hard because I have like I don't even have a sweet tooth. I'd say I have sweet teeth, 
like I love chocolate and desserts and biscuits and at Christmas time you know like in your typical Irish country oh, house I know. everything like you've got four trolleys on the, Chris, on the Christmas Rose. Eve yeah like just in case we run out of Quality Street but then we were more roses people than we were roses, really, yeah I, we I weren't into Quality Street we were more roses people. roses are the nicer ones oh, they were yeah, nice. I, I would eat anything though I would never discriminate against chocolate <laughs> I would eat them all um, so that was actually really hard for me but I'm really glad I did it because one of the other reasons as well why I said I do it right is I obviously have a sports background I'm five foot five um, so I'm not particularly tall. Oh, so oh. if I if dancing has, has given me an extra inch because Kai, my dance partner, said back. I need to put my shoulders back and down and it elongates my neck, and he's right. So sometimes I do like to walk around that place, but then I think people think, who does, who does your one think she is in her head in the air? <laughs> but one of the other reasons I said I wanted to do it was because I suppose I'm really aware of the fact I work as a performance coach as well. And I went back and qualified as a performance coach when I left the corporate environment because I always had a real interest in sports psychology so it's like okay well performance psychology could be about business it could be about it could be about like a housewife that needs to feel that she's valued and that she's she's enough by doing what she's doing every day you could work with loads of different people so i'm back and qualified as that and i suppose i work with people now in a social media age where let's face it like we all have gone onto social media one stage in our lives instagram facebook twitter seen a picture of somebody that we would like to be like, maybe unrealistically so, and felt crap about ourselves, right? I've done it. Oh, I've done it. Uh, we all have done it. Yeah. And I was like, and we're in our, I'm in my 30s. I was like, so I have some sort of rational mind, you would think, to understand that often these are photoshopped or filtered or taken at a certain angle. But if you're a 14, 15 year old boy or girl, it must be incredibly hard. Born into this. This yeah, is all they see. That's all they know. Lads, I had Bebo, right, in college. That was, Bebo was only introduced. Yeah. And I thought that was hard enough. It was like, oh, I haven't got that many loves for this picture. Now it's just like exploded. Chaos. And I think we don't give teenagers enough of credit, I think, nowadays, because people can talk about the snowflakes, they can talk about millennials. We did not have to deal with this. Our parents did not have to deal with this. And you have to be incredibly self-assured, I think, now to have the confidence in yourself to be who you are. So again, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent. No, but, but it's all relative. <laughs> One of the reasons why I said I would do it as well is my body shape is different to a lot of women. You know, I have a lot of muscle in my body. I have very strong athletic legs. And, and I felt, you know what? I'm proud of, of how I look now. And I suppose when I was a teenager, there was certain elements of, of insecurity because skinny jeans were not my friends. Um, and I didn't wear clothes sometimes that my other friends would have worn that weren't playing sport because I had a lot of muscle. And, you know, I looked a bit different to, to some other girls. And thankfully... A lot of my friends were playing sport as well, um, but I think I was genetically predispositioned to build a lot of muscle. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> my mother is really tall and lean. My brother took after her. Yeah, I have got the more strong physique. So, you know, each to their own. And as I said, I, I've worked with what I have now. And I'm really lucky because if I hadn't that physique, I might never have made the Cork team. I might never have made the All-Ireland. So it's just about how you look at your body, I think. And when I was growing up, and even in my, my early adult years, I kind of looked at my body as to what it could do and how it could perform and what I could get out so of how you it, can work with it as opposed to how it looked yeah, in right. a pair of skinny jeans. And I said, you know what, if you go on the, this dancing program, you're not going to look like Maya Dunphy, who's beautiful and petite. You're not going to look like Alana Byrne, who's legs 11 and she's six foot. You're going to look like a different body shape and you know better or worse than any of the rest of them. And maybe younger girls playing sports might not give up sport because they're so consumed with building muscle and looking like a guy which i speak to a lot of younger girls and parents and that's a fear they have it's a fear they have of 
of looking like a, like oh I don't want to build muscle because I'm gonna, I'm gonna look big if I build muscle. They're very afraid of that, isn't so it? So I was like maybe they might see me and I hope. But then, and then when I agree, when I agreed, right, and I said, well, you know, this is a really positive thing you're gonna be doing. I did have that moment where I went, oh but crap. What if they look at my body and go, oh, she's so much muscle. Like, yeah, slate you <laughs> like, from the side. Too late, I'm already in it. I'm here. Um, actually, Kai, I actually, he may not be listening to this in the UK, though he probably will because if he knows he I'm talking will, about him. I'm talking about you. <laughs> now, don't worry, your secrets are safe. For now. The very first time he, he met me, where we had to do um, our pictures with our dance partner. So we only met them the very first time. And I had to stand in front of him with my, kind of my hands backwards. And I was almost like leaning so he was he was holding my weight I get you. and he could see the muscles on my back and he said he was like oh my god so i joked to him and i was like you gave me a complex about you lifting me and that i was terrified you wouldn't be able to lift me then because i probably weigh i'd say about 67 68 kg kg so for a five foot five person it's quite small or it's quite a, it's quite heavy um but it's muscle and I think he was like, whoa, you have a lot of muscle. But then I was like, yeah, but I'm proud of it because I spent hours in gyms and knee deep in muck in January and February for 12 years playing with Quark. And, and then some, even in the years before that with UL and with my school at Mary's Charvel and of course at Milford. So I had spent a lot of time building this muscle. So I was like, you may as well be damn proud of it because it's the only body you're ever going to have. So if you constantly want to be somebody else and look like somebody else, you're just, never gonna be happy. It's gonna be exhausting. Like <laughs> constantly chasing. Yeah. I, so as I said, it's just about slowly coming to the realization. And dancing was brilliant because dancing gave me. It did give me a confidence in a weird way because let me tell you, that costumes department. When they say you're gonna wear a costume, <laughs> you're gonna wear it. And it doesn't matter what you don't like about your body. Oh, I don't like the way this shows my arms. Or, you're wearing it. Like in week three, I, I did the the famous Elsa dance, Frozen. And um, basically there was loads of layers in the dress and they didn't like how the layers looked. They felt it was too heavy and I was doing contemporary ballroom. It was meant to be really light, fairy like, fairy like, fairy like, I'm so proud of And um, so they cut away all of the layers of the dress. So basically the top layer of the dress was see-through. So like, you know, apart from a little, a little leotard, might I add, a little leotard, that's You're all it was. And I had to do a handstand and I was thinking, oh my God, the screenshots, take it, the screenshots. And I had to do it. I just had to get over it. So in a really weird way, it actually just got me to be like, okay, you know what? You have to just face your insecurities here and go out there in front of half a million Irish people live in Irish homes and do your handstand with your tiny leotard and your see-through dress. And you know what? It'll be fine. And you'll have and it was. fun. And it was one of my favorite dances. And it's the one, ironically, that people talk most about. So... Um, and not obviously for said for, for, <laughs> for previous reasons. reasons. They actually just like the dance. So I think, you know, we all build these things up in our minds so much going, oh my God, everyone's going to be looking at it. What are they going to say? But in the grander scheme of things, let's face it, most of the time we're all too wrapped up in our in own our, lives. In ourselves. And we're all too self-absorbed to actually be worried about what anyone, anyone else that happens. So it just, it kind of gave me a little bit of a reality check, but in the best possible way, because I think afterwards then I was much more willing to experiment with more risky outfits, you know? um, and it, yeah, it definitely did. I look back and I'm like, oh, and you have to trust people as well. You know what I mean? You have to, that's their job. That's their area of expertise. And I don't know anything about costumes. So if they feel that that's going to suit me, well, you have, and look, I'm a bit of a control freak. You know, and like anyone that knows me is like, okay, shock. She said it, she yeah, finally yeah, said it. She's finally admitted to it. So it, with Dancing with the Stars, you have to relinquish complete control. Hair, makeup, your dance, 
you know, your dance partner was responsible for, you know, how many hours even in the day you danced and all the rest of it. And some days I was really frustrated and kind of like, we just need to call it a day. I'm like, no, we don't. I haven't got this. We need to do three more hours. And he's like, no, you just need. You to were pushing him. And you had to, yeah, you had to trust that they were like, okay, look, you're, you know, you just need a little bit of time to yourself. So that again was a real learning experience. And we had the bloody best crack. Like I made some fabulous friends, the likes of Maya Dunphy and Rob Heffernan, and even I was friends with Marty, but I got to know him so much better. Like these are people now that are my, on my speed dials in my phone when I want a good rant or a good gossip or a good bitch, dare I say it. They're people, they're friends for life because we were all thrown into this really intense experience. And we all kind of got closer because of it. And I think even at times I say the production team were like, Jesus, it's meant to be a competition. Will you have a bit of a fight? Or a bit of competition, But please. we were actually, we all were like, obviously everybody wanted to get into the final. And anyone that says they didn't is a liar. Liar. But you didn't necessarily want to get into the final at anyone else's expense, you know. And the thing about it was weird for me was from playing sport, you have an opposition, right? So you beat your opposition that automatically means you win. <laughs> but with this, you're on the dance floor. There's nobody to beat back. Like it's Directly kind of your, in front of you. It's your mind. It's, it's your mind. It's really weird. You're standing on the edge of the dance floor and it goes, you know, dancing the tango with Anna Geary. And you're like, fuck, 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 fuck. What's the first step? Go get the first step. And the only thing that you actually need to beat is your mind telling you you can't do it. And then you do it and you're like, yes, right lads, drinks on me. And it's, it's just... You've just done the first step, can't Oh yeah, I know. And you could have got absolutely slated by the judges, but it was like that, I suppose that acknowledgement that you did it anyway, even if it wasn't your best week. And even if it wasn't the best thing you've ever done, you still had the courage to get out there and do it. And I, again, I suppose, I kind of relate that back to my life now say. too. Yeah. Getting yourself out of your comfort zone. That's it. And I work, like, I suppose I have more of an understanding now when I work with even corporate clients or I work with teams where they're talking about, well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to change, you know, into a different role um, in work because I'm stepping out of a comfort zone. It's not you. I have more empathy now because I know what that feels like to be completely out of your comfort zone, to be terrified but to still do it anyway and then look back and be like, okay, look, and it wasn't all plain sailing, but it was great crack. It normally works out in the way. And yeah, and you, you know what? It. it does. And like what I was saying, it's about how you look at it as well. There's always a silver lining. Just like here, you know, we're chatting about this and I'm probably revealing things I'd absolutely <laughs> no intention of revealing. Perfect. But should we get a 99 at the end <laughs> of it? Sil You're getting lining. me a 99 at the end. <laughs> yeah, no, it. we're not doing that. You never brought <laughs> this, this is where we finish up, oh, Anna. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very I'm welcome. definitely backing you for President of Ireland. If you're doing the entire trail, continue on this path until you arrive back in Carlingford Village Square. Here you'll find plenty of spots for a well-deserved bite to eat and a cup of coffee. You can get a guided tour of the village or try horse riding, kayaking or ziplining. If you're in the mood for a proper chill out, check out the luxury breaks at the Four Seasons. Or why not sip cocktails in the loft, just one minute away from the start of the sleeve foil loop. It's always important to be respectful of the wildlife and surrounding environment. So make sure to leave the trail as you found it. Visit leavenotraceireland.org for more information. This is such a stunning walk with so many breathtaking views and interesting stories along the way. We would highly recommend you get out there and experience it for yourself. The Tales and Trails Hub in partnership with Discover Ireland is a bounty of information on the best walks all around the country for your next short break. From the spectacular Wild Atlantic Way to the serene beauty of Ireland's hidden Harlands, the epic Ireland's ancient east or the surprises of Dublin, you're sure to find a walking break to suit you and your family. Just the break you're looking for. Make sure to share your trail photos using the hashtag Loving Tales and Trails. Tales and Trails podcast is in partnership with Discover Ireland. Learn more about exploring the best walks of Ireland's ancient east at lovin.ie forward slash Tales and Trails. Walking makes your break. <laughs>